0: Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. We continue working through the Book of Ezekiel as it pertains to the theme of exile and return. Chapter 14 leads us into an exploration of some of the roles that God plays in our lives and how they serve as metaphors for the way He provides and cares for us. The first two examples in Ezekiel focus on God as a father and God as the head of an enterprise.
1: God, thanks for the opportunity to gather around your Scripture for this day. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, we are your people and that you care for us like a father. You um, are effect- effective with us like a like a like a, a boss and you are uh, passionate and intimate and love us like a husband. I pray that as we embrace these lessons today that you'll help us personalize them and uh, that we may uh, greatly benefit from your teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go to Ezekiel. If you'll turn there. We've been in this Exile and Return series. Jeremiah, Lamentations. Now we're in Ezekiel. Jeremiah was a prophet to the nation from uh, Babylon. I'm sorry, from uh, from Jerusalem. He stayed. He never went into exile, and he wrote. Uh, Jer- he wrote Jeremiah both before and after the exile. Um, or de- and he um, declined to go to go to Babylon, even though he could have gone. Um, and so Jeremiah was uh, one of the preeminent exile and uh, prophets, staying in Jerusalem the whole time. Uh, Ezekiel uh, went in the uh, second wave. Daniel goes in the first wave, which was in six hundred five, and then uh, five hundred ninety-seven. Ezekiel goes. Uh, Ezekiel is in the countryside of Babylon, uh, prophesying, and Daniel is actually in Babylon itself in the administration. Uh, so we get these three perspectives on the same t- time period, and we've talked about all these minor prophets. Almost all of them have something to do with this time period in exile, as well as First and Second Chronicles. So uh, the Bible spends a large percentage of its pages on this uh, episode—the exile and return—and we're going to try to look for the lessons in it. Last week we introduced the um, Book of Ezekiel, and we met these crazy c- creatures. These giant uh, things with four faces. you remember the four faces that they had? Ox, Ox, eagle, Man. man, lion. Yep, those are the four faces. And these giant things and this big thunderhead with the boiling fire and God and His throne on top and these voices coming out. And they're always going straight on. And we talked about how this message that God is giving to Ezekiel where he gives Ezekiel the call, he says, I'm asking you to go and uh, tell people what I want you to tell them and do what I ask you to do. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be uh, brief and it's, it's going. And people generally are not going to listen to you. And I, come in and I just want you to tell them anyway. Just keep on talking. And uh, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, job that God gave Ezekiel to do. And these crazy creatures uh, show up again in chapter 10, and it's a big surprise who they are. So let's look at chapter 10 of Ezekiel, and let's look at uh, verse uh, 15, let's see, let's go 14. Uh, Well, let's see, let's let's go back to uh, 12. And their whole body, with their back, their hands, their wings, and their wheels... That the four had were full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called in my herring wheel. You've heard that before, right? Each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub. That's a little different. The second, the face of a man. The third, the face of a lion. The fourth, the face of an eagle. And the cherubim were lifted up. This was the living creature I saw by the river Chabar. The river Chabar is where the first uh, a vision happens. So who is, who is this crazy creature? Well, what is this crazy creature? An angel. What kind of angel? A cherub. Now, when you think of cherub, what do you think of? Yeah, fat cheeks. Yeah, precious moments. A little naked thing with a little arrow. And... Isn't that hilarious? The, this is what the real cherub looks like. It's a Star Wars creature with, uh, you know, a giant, in a giant cloud that makes you go, ah! So the, the cherub, you've got the wings, so there was a cherub over the uh, Raiders of the Lost, I mean the, the uh, Ark, Ark of the Covenant. And uh, so, uh, you know, that, that, there's, this, there's another place within. This is mostly what we see when we see angels in the Bible. We see these cherubs. So one of the faces has changed in this Ezekiel 10. Instead of an ox, there's a cherub face. And maybe it is that cherubs have ox-like faces as possible. Or maybe they just kind of change their faces as the moment uh, uh, requires it. Uh, You know, we know from Star Trek that there's animals in the universe that can take on different shapes, right? Isn't that part of what we know? So this is a pretty, some pretty wild stuff going on here, but I think the point that God is making, at least one of the points, is uh, this is my presence. I'm giving you the power of my presence so that um, you can have the, um, uh, the motivation to do what I ask you to do. God always gives us the provision that we need to do what he asks. And one of the messages is the spirit's in the wheels, and he goes wherever the spirit goes. And Ezekiel was lifted up by the Spirit. So that was kind of last week's lesson. Okay, so this week what I want to do is start in verse uh, chapter 14. And what we're going to see in chapter 14 is we're going to see a father's love. And dads are sometimes scary people. Did you ever have in your life um, a time where you told people how unfair and um, how... Um, uh, lacking in perspective your parents were? How they just didn't understand your situation? If only they knew they would do something completely different. And did your parents ever say to you something like, maybe someday you'll understand but right now this is in your best interest? And then you grew up and you started realizing "Wow, gee my parents weren't as dumb as I thought they were. And then you found yourself telling your own kids exactly the same thing. Everybody, yeah, lots of nods. Everybody's gone through this. Well, this is, chapter 14 is going to be a parenting chapter. And then we're going to look at chapter 15, one of the real shortest chapters that uh, you'll come across. And we're going to see the uh, sort of boss chapter where um, God has an enterprise that he runs. And he wants us to be part of that enterprise. And he wants us to be effective. And then we're going to look at chapter 16 and we're going to see the husband chapter. And when we are uh, estranged from God and don't follow his ways, uh, he has a real visceral reaction to it. And we're going to see that. Okay, So let's look at chapter 14 and let's look at this um, fatherly love. Now, some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me. So these are the leaders of Israel and they came and sat down. And the word of God, of the Lord, came to me, saying, Son of man. Now, Son of man, you know, is this uh, sort of uh, princely title. Uh, Son is uh, the person who runs the enterprise in this family business culture. And uh, this is actually the same phrase that is used of Jesus, Son of man. So God has given Ezekiel a very elevated uh, position here. He calls him Son of man. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. "...and put them, bef- and put before them that which caused them to stumble into iniquity." Okay? So what does having an idol in your heart cause you to do? Sin. Cause you to sin. Now, I don't know if it's the only thing that caused you to sin. This, this, this passage wouldn't uh, require that interpretation. But most certainly, if we see sin, it's likely we have an idol in our heart. Uh, idols are what? What is an idol? Or something we desire. What else? This, especially in this time frame. It's like a physical statue. Well, it could be a physical statue. that uh, usually has a physical representation of some kind. We normally have it. But what is it? What is the idol? Okay. To give you something? Yeah, it's something that you trust in to give you something. Remember... Uh, we had, uh, in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah's talking to the people, and they're trying to get him to go to Egypt, and, and he said, and they say, well, and he says, don't worship the queen of heaven anymore, and they said, well, when we worship the queen of heaven, we had food and drink, everything we wanted, and when we stopped, then all this disaster happened, and Jeremiah said, yeah, how stupid are you, it's exactly the opposite of what you said, okay, uh, because the way what we want is something that we gives us what we desire. That's what an idol is. And it can be an external power. It can be an internal power. It can be another person. It can be most anything. Okay? What are you trusting in to get you what you really desire? Well, these guys had something besides God that they were trusting in. Should I let myself be inquired of by them... Verse four. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols. So these guys are coming and saying, Here's what we want. And God says, "Uh, I'm not going to talk to you about what you want. I'm going to talk to you about your idols. These people would be happy to get from God what they want because god they'd be happy for God to be another one of their idols, wouldn't they? We're always happy to serve God as long as He's behaving and giving us what we desire. When God says, no, that's not the way I operate. Let's take care of your idols first. The idols are going to cause you to stumble. Now, if you have a child that is really, really dedicated to put their fingers in the light socket... What do you do? Put a plug in, plug them, okay. That's a good thing to do. Let let them try it once, okay. I want to work with you on your parenting a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Did you actually try it yourself? Okay. I have a friend that did, he has a lifetime scar from it. He, uh, unfortunately, he wanted to put his tongue in it. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is not a good thing, right, for kids to do this. And they're, sometimes they're really dedicated to that sort of thing, right? That they're just really insistent. It's a great desire of theirs, and they can't understand, why are you getting in my way of doing this? Well, this is the same kind of attitude God has here. You're going to destroy yourselves, and this is not constructive behavior. So I'm going to stop it. Verse 6, Therefore, says the house of Israel, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God: Repent, turn away from your idols, turn your faces away from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from Me and sets up his idols in his heart, and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning Me, I the Lord will answer him by myself. I think this is probably one of the reasons uh, we don't like to come to the Scripture, because God does us the same way when we come to the Scripture. He's going to deal with, who are you trusting? What choices are you making, if we're paying attention? And our tendency is to say, oh, no, that's not what I want. I want to make my wife behave. And I, want, I, or I need this job, this employer to behave. I need my 401k to behave. Okay, the tends to be... And God's really interested in the heart, f- Foremost. Verse 9, chapter 10, verse 9 of Ezekiel. And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet, and I'll stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people. This kind of attitude needs to be removed. You know, in the New Testament, we see sometimes God removing people because they're corrupting the rest of the folks. So this discipline can be severe. But it's for protection. Verse 12, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it, I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, said the Lord God. This is a really amazing passage. And what he's saying here is, Normally, three righteous people can preserve a whole nation. That's that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? You can have an immense impact where you are just by serving God yourself. It, it, It spreads and it influences people around them. And it can preserve an entire group of people. And that's the normal circumstance but there comes a point past which it just doesn't work anymore and god has to judge and that's this was such a point so god wants us as his people as his elect to do what's in our best interest he's our father He doesn't want us to go into self-destruction. If we insist on it, then He'll give it to us. And He'll give it to us in such a way as to protect others. There are consequences to our actions. Chapter 15. God's also running a substantial enterprise. Ezekiel chapter 15. And He's got things He needs done. And He wants us to be useful then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how's the wood of the vine better than any other wood, the vine branch which is among the trees of the forest? Okay, you've, been to a, you've seen a vine of some kind. Have you had vines at your house? What is a, what's a vine like at your house if it crawls up the, the side of the house or something? What's it, what, what, how would you describe that? What is it? Huh? It takes over. Okay. How, how big is the trunk? Yeah, it's, it's, there's no trunk, is there? It's just it's a little stint. And what happens when it dies? It dries out, it dries out and then what, like do you do? what do you do with it? Throw it, Throw it away or burn it. Throw it away or burn it, why? Because it's dead. It's dead. Why don't you make a, like a carving out of it? It has to be small. Yeah, yeah. It's just little, it's little spindly things, right? There's just it's just not much use. It's pretty good for starting a fire. It's just not very useful stuff. If it was an oak tree and it died, what would you do with it? Yeah, you might cut it down and make a a bed out of it, right? Or or turn it into two by fours and and and, and make a house out of it or something, right? Okay, so this is the point he's saying is how's the how's the vine better than the other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make any object? Do you, do you, do you, do you go get wood vine? Hey, what is that? What is that? What is, boy? This is really pretty furniture. What's that made out of? Grapevine? You'll never hear that right. Or can men make a peg to hang a vessel? on? okay, so we can't make furniture out of it? We can't make a house out of it. How about just making a peg to put on the wall to hang your shirt on? Can we at least do that? Well, you can't even do that if it, well you take a you take a wood vine, I mean a grapevine, and you put it on the wall and you hang your shirt on it, what's it going to do? It's just going to break. It's a twig, right No. Instead, it's thrown into the fire for fuel. We can make a fire with it. The fire devours both ends of it and its middle is burned. Is it useful for any work? Verse 5, Indeed, when it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has burned it and it's devoured? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest which I have given up as fire for fuel, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem and I'll set my face against them. What was Israel's job in the world? What did God set up Israel to do? What's its job? Light to the nations. Light to the nations. What else? Separate. What? They have to be separate. Be separate, okay. Well, what, what particular, like, uh, job functions did they have? That was... They have these purposes, these these charges. What's actually the job function they're supposed to have? Priestly. It's supposed to be a priestly nation, right? Light to the nations, a separate... Because what are they supposed to be doing to the nations? Showing them how to come to God, right? Everybody comes to Israel and they see, Hey, this is how you do life. Let's go be like that. That's their job. And God put them... In the intersection of the world, the middle of the world, all the silk routes went right through Jerusalem. That's why there's been so many wars there, because it's the world's best toll booth. And every king or every tyrant wants a big toll booth. Why do you want a toll booth? You can collect lots of money, and you don't have to really work for it. Everybody's after that, right? It's, it's, it's the tax mania place. I mean, you can you just haul it in. Uh, the most fought over piece of ground, uh, ancient piece of ground, is Megiddo, because it's where multiple trade routes came together. Well, God put them right there so that they could be this light, so they could be a different kind of people, and everybody could come through and say, hey, this is how you do life. And they're worse off than their neighbors. Now, they're not doing their job. And if we don't do our job, then we're not being useful. We see this same picture in John chapter 15. Jesus says in John chapter 15, My father is a vine dresser. He plants grapes. Now, in the ancient world, most of the time, grapes were planted in the ground. If you plant grapes in the ground, they'll still produce grapes, but they also produce lots of roots. So if you want them to produce more grapes, you put them on a trellis. Less roots, more grapes. And that's what John 15 says. If the grapes don't produce enough, my Father lifts them up, puts them on a trellis. And if they produce fruit, then He prunes them. Again, we're reorienting the energy away from making vines to making grapes. Why, why does He do that? He wants fruitfulness. He wants usefulness. And if they won't produce any grapes, then we're in Ezekiel 15. You just take it and put it in the fire. Because that's all it's useful for. God wants us to be useful. And what has He called us to be? Priests to the world. Um, He's called us to be members of a body to one another, to serve one another. And that's our job. And he wants us to be useful. And if we're not, we're not doing our job.
0: This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, Visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.